everybody, I'm Chris and with me is Matt and we're slowing down to better connect with the stories and the people around us between the miles. Matt, my friend, how's it going today? Chris, it's awesome, man. I, uh, you know, as we, as we've turned the page on our first month here, just loving everything that's coming together here, uh, for us on this podcast and, and, uh, with the people that we're, we're speaking with. So there I'm pumped for today's, uh, guest, right? Uh, John, uh, you've known for, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've known him for about a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never met John before, but, uh, when we sat down and had this conversation, I just was riveted. He is an engaging storyteller and he's got these life experiences, right? That you can literally write about in a book. He's, he's, he's on this mission and, and, uh, you know, his mission values and commitment to what he's working on, uh, really shines through. Yeah, you know, and uh, um, I, I'm excited. Uh, our guest for today is John Rusnak, and he's the executive director at Uncuffed Ministries. And uh, Matt, I was excited for him to meet you because, you know, that's another thing, too, is like you think about all the connections that you have and all the connections that I have and like how many times do friends or connections cross paths? And and that's one of the cool things about this podcast is not only are we introducing um, people to, to uh, others who are out there, but we're introducing um, you know, one another to people in our close circles that maybe we've never crossed paths with. And so what I'm excited for, um, for our listeners to, uh, hear is not, not only John's personal story, but how he's been able to overcome some hurdles out there, uh, how he was able to reinvent himself, especially when limitations were happening. And most importantly, like how relationships are so important when we're in a path of redeeming um, ourselves. And so if you're someone who feels like you're in need of redeeming or just rebounding or starting over, uh, you're absolutely gonna love this conversation uh, that Matt and I have with John. And so without any further delay, here's John Rusnak. Enjoy. All right, we want to welcome John Rusnak to the show. John, uh, it's so good to have you here. How are you doing, buddy? Doing well. Awesome, awesome. So, um, Matt, um, I, I'm so excited uh, to have John here on the show to introduce you to him. Uh, John and uh, uh, we, we've known each other what, like, ten years now, at least, right? Just about that. I think, um, I think ten or eleven. Yes. Okay. So, while I could tell the story of how we met. I'd love to hear your version of how we first connected because, um, you know, uh, I feel like I have, you know, revisionist memory where I, I paint one picture, but uh, let's go back to how we connected and why we know one another. Sure. Well, um, I was doing youth ministry at a church in Maryland called Grace Fellowship, and um, our youth pastor was friends with the youth pastor from Hunt Valley Church, whose name is Eric Highland. And um, I was told that Eric had a passion for prison ministry and wanted to get together with me because I had been in prison. <laughs> so I spent five and a half years in federal prison when I was a bit younger as a consequence of some uh, really bad choices in the financial markets. Um, so Eric wanted to meet with me and we connected and he invited me on to an advisory board. Uh, this is before the, the, the ministry was official, before we had 501c3 uh, uh, designation and before we even had a real board. Uh, but uh, the very first meeting I met with Chris and, um, <clears throat> and 
you know, we've realized we had a common passion to work with kids inside the jails and, and just got along very well right from the beginning, supporting Eric uh, at uh, Uncuffed Ministries. Now, we're not going to talk about first impressions because I know right away I impressed you and you're like, okay, I got to know these guys. But in, in all seriousness, um, so you mentioned, and, and I remember Eric inviting me, right? Um, you know, it's like one connector connects um, many other people. And that's the type of person Eric um, is, yes, um, yeah. for sure. Um, Matt, if you ever meet this guy, Eric, just be careful because not only are you going to connect with him, but he's probably going to ask you to do something bold and, um, audacious because <laughs> Eric like founded, <laughs> yeah, he, well, he founded this ministry uncuffed yeah. and then, you know, 10 years later, you know, he said, he's, he stepped back, um, a while ago and John and I are still here. <laughs> so, um, and that doesn't mean we're stuck. We, we love what we're doing, um, in our involvement with that, but, but that's huge. Um, so John, let's let's talk a little bit more about you, you mentioned that Eric connected with you because you, you know youth ministry, but also this experience uh, with federal prison and everything like that. But wh- what are some other things that drew you into getting involved into a ministry that is is kind of like unique um, and, and niche in that in that regards? Well. There, you know, there's a word in the Bible that gets translated as fellowship. I think a very poor English translation of the Greek word koinonia, uh, which really means like it's in Acts 2.42. It's, it's all over the Bible, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a distinct and interesting word that it means having a common bond and on a common mission. And, uh, and, and that's really what I'm looking for with people uh, I want to be around. I want to be around people that, A, um, put their full faith in Jesus Christ and be want to serve others. And then this niche of prison ministry, I mean, to walk into a room and have a whole bunch of people decide they want to, you know, <laughs> that they're, they're dedicated to working with the least of these that are behind the walls is uh, it's a rare occasion, <laughs> obviously. And it's not like this type of volunteering is the most um, desirous or, uh, or, 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 you know, something that uh, leads to someone throwing a big parade for you and celebrating you. It's kind of an unpopular ministry. Uh, but, uh, but just to have, to have that room filled up with people like yourself, Chris, who wanted to serve kids inside, um, that really struck a chord with me. You know, while I was in, uh, I was richly blessed by a bunch of volunteers. Uh, just people came all the time to see us and, and, and what I realized is I was in a tough spot. I was really broken and uh, knocked down and I was at a great place for Jesus to touch my heart. And, um, and, 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 and going through that gave me not only sympathy, but empathy uh, towards the kids who were inside. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, were you always, um, I mean, your faith, um, is that something that's always been a part of your life? Um, have you always been someone who, who's connected with, with people? Can, can you tell us a little bit about that too? Well, I, I would, I would um, claim my salvation back to middle school. Um, I got picked up in the summer by this uh, Baptist bus that came through our neighborhood and my mom let me go because I think she wanted me out of her hair for the, <laughs> for the week. So they would pick me up every morning and take me there. I, we, I ended up hanging out at the church. It wasn't too far from my house. And uh, that was really the first time that I understood about, uh, you know, a relationship with Christ. Uh, so I, I would claim my salvation then. But, you know, my sanctification process was definitely a bit stalled as I got older and uh, started drinking these drugs and get involved in things that were kind of seedy. Um, and, and unfortunately, that went through my high school, college years and, and into my uh, career working on Wall Street, where, uh, where I really lost my way. Um, and um, 
and just started to make really a lot of bad choices. But the great thing, and I, and I relate this to the kids as well, I think that God honored that choice that I made uh, to follow him. And, and I really felt like uh, that he had called me into faith. Definitely, definitely. So, so if you guys, like, I'm sitting back, right? You guys have this 10 to 11 year relationship. And I'm thinking like, oh man, I'm just a fly in the wall here for a second. But John, you know, your mileage so far, right? And what I mean by that is, is bring us into like, I, I don't know a little bit about like where you grew up, right? What brought you to Wall Street mm -hmm. and, you know, fill in some of the gaps for someone like me that, that has no background with you. Yeah, so I grew up in an Italian neighborhood in um, Northeast um, Philadelphia, uh, kind of like, a, well, just, just over the line in the suburbs in Bucks County and uh, kind of a blue collar, um, middle class, lower middle class neighborhood uh, where uh, a lot of the kids weren't expected to go to college and weren't expected to succeed. Um, <clears throat> I've always been, always been a bit of a knucklehead with making bad choices, but, but God blessed me with uh, some skills and the ability to do well in school. So um, I always did very well in school and ended up with a scholarship to a private school, uh, which really turned everything around for me. It changed my expectations for life. Uh, the problem was that I, um, I sort of became deeply ashamed of where I'd come from and tried to fit in. You know, I remember my first uh, hall meeting at school where I showed up in a uh, Eagles jersey, sneakers, and a Flyers cap on sideways, you know, and everyone else were, I actually distinctly remember one of the guys in my hall was from Baltimore and he, he was a Gilman boy and he uh, showed up with a blue blazer and a rep tie and penny loafers, you know, so I, started, <laughs> I am really in deep water here and I have no idea what this is. So I started this process where like, okay, well, I may not understand it, but I'm a quick study. I can figure this out. So I went home and bought penny loafers, a blue blazer and a rep tie, <laughs> uh, which, which was amusing. But um, the problem was I started to pretend that I was somebody else because I, I didn't want to be who I was. And that led me down to a path uh, of, of feeling um, unworthy and, and uh, shame. And, and you know what happens with that. I mean, when you start to bury your feelings, uh, the common result of that is uh, drugs and alcohol. Um, so, uh, you know, so, so I, 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 I did well in school, despite making a lot of bad choices. And um, I, I, be, I became really focused on making money. Um, I met a lot of kids whose parents had a lot of money, went to a lot of their houses. They seemed really, really nice. That's really what I wanted. So um, I ended up working in the financial markets. I actually got a job as in IT at a bank and uh, helped their trading room set up some computers. And this is back in the 80s when nobody had personal computers. So uh, I, I displayed some skills in that and they hired me to work on the trading floor. And I, I was enamored from, from the beginning. It was, you know, trading is a zero sum game and it's black and white and it's, there's no delayed gratification, you know, right okay. away. Uh, and that really appealed to me uh, in, in, in sort of a gambling way, but also in a way to prove my worth. And suddenly it didn't matter where I grew up. It didn't matter. Uh, uh, it, it didn't matter what it looked like. It mattered how much money I made. And I found great uh, worth in that. That's a shallow worth, but, um, but that's where I started to find my worth was in, was in finances. And then I, I, I got in the situation where I was sure that I was smarter than everybody else. 
Um, just a, probably one of the worst sins you can have is being <laughs> completely overconfident in the face, even in the face of, you know, obvious evidence to the contrary. Um, and, and I was sure that, uh, that I, that I knew more. I didn't want to listen to anybody. I wouldn't let anyone disciple me or lead me. So, um, I quit a series of jobs, always getting like, you know, raises and going to better positions. But in retrospect, what I realized is I lost out on a lot of people who wanted to, uh, who wanted to lead me well, who wanted to show me, you know, how to live my life in the financial markets legitimately and honestly, because there are a lot of, a lot of Christian guys working in the markets that do it correctly. Um, I ended up coming down to Maryland uh, because I wanted to have my own gig and run my own money. And um, when I got down to Maryland, I realized that all my accomplishments and the money I'd made uh, weren't just due to me. They were due to an infrastructure at some of these banks that were built with uh, IT support and sales teams and information flow and just being in the heart of the city where, where you know, you, you, you communicated with other traders. I, I was basically down in Maryland trading out of a paper bag, so to speak. Uh, you know, just, just no information. And uh, when I started to lose money, well, my world started to crash. You know, I had to find myself not as a Christian, not as a son of Christ, but as a trader. And when I was unsuccessful at that, I didn't know who I was. So I decided that I would start to hide that. And uh, I would start to uh, conceal those losses in order that I could tell everybody how great I was. Uh, so kind of a scary period. And the consequence was that I ended up in federal prison for five and a half years for uh, bank fraud and racketeering. Yeah. So about how long, just so that, again, I have the framework of it, about how long was just life in the financial system, so to speak, right? You, you, you said you, you had a couple of jobs and then mm-hmm. um, made your way down here. About, about how many years did you spend uh, life in, in, in that world? Um, I started in the financial markets in the mid 80s and uh, ended up getting indicted in 2001. So maybe about 15, 16 years, something like that. And I went through a period where I was very successful. And, and, and I, I mean, it, actually, I think I'm actually a really good trader. And, uh, and I really enjoyed that quite a lot. You know, I'm a good card player. <laughs> I'm a good number counter and, uh, and uh, an analyst, but it's not for me anymore, obviously. So, well, and, and I've, I've seen that um, kind of uh, function in creativity, right? Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about Uncuffed um, in a second and just how you've been able to, to lead that and shape that. Um, but, you know, one thing that really struck out to me was this idea uh, when, when you're talking about you were young and some of the decisions you made and uh, this this need to conform, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm sure that's something you see a lot in some of the the, the clients or some of the, the, the young men and women that, that you uh, you serve through Uncuffed Ministries. Why, why do you think there is this huge need to conform to people around us? Like, like, Talk a little bit more about that in regards to relationships. Yeah. Well, you know, just last night I was on with the Waxter Center for Girls and Jessup for a virtual class. And we studied Romans 12 too, you know, which is being alarmed, conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you might know God's good, perfect and acceptable will. I mean, I love that verse because, you know, the secular world tells us one thing and God tells us something completely different. 
So I always joke around and say that, that what that verse really means is don't do what's on the TV. You know? <laughs> uh, but there is a strong pressure in society to conform. And I, I have, in addition to the prison guys that um, I work with, I have a, a small group of high school guys from Delaney uh, at my church and, and, and they're terrific young men. Um, they're kind of Bible nerdy kind of kids, but also popular kids too, you know, uh, 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 but they even even those kids who really have made a choice to follow Christ, they really struggle not to conform to the world, even with things like pornography and um, and drinking and smoking pot and all the things that society says are good. All of the things that um, all the sin that society says makes you feel good in the short term. Yeah. Yeah. And I fell into that. I mean, I, I mean, one of the things I always say, especially the guys in jail, is that I'm not or you know, I go down to helping up mission. I'm not going to go into helping out mission and tell those guys that heroin, that heroin doesn't do what they want it to do. Cause it does in the short term, it's terribly effective. You know, if you want to numb out and forget your problems, you should definitely hit the heroin because it will work in the short term. Like all. So if I gamble or get drunk or uh, chase girls or whatever, I get a short term, uh, uh, you know, bump from that, um, which does what I want, but it destroys your, uh, your, uh, medium term and long-term planning and thinking and what God has for you. So, uh, you know, trying to get people to focus on the long-term rather than the short-term is I think the solution to sin. And, and, and so t- tell me a little bit more about that, right. Focusing, you know, obviously, right. Like you said, there's that instant sensation. It's kind of hard to knock that, but there's that long-term gain and everything. Um, you know, especially you're walking in, these guys, these, these, these girls, they don't know you, um, initially, how, how does that message, how do you, how does that message eventually sink in? I mean, obviously they have to choose for that, but over like over time, how does that sink in? Well, it had to sink in with me first before I could get it to sink in with them. And, uh, I remember, I don't know if you were going in that there was a, a big kid named Gary uh, who was on 4S in Baltimore County Detention Center. I, I remember Gary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was big. And he was a big dude and very threatening. Uh, but, you know, like a kitten, actually really nice, but looked like he was very scary. And uh, we were we had prayer requests after um, after we did Bible study and he wrote something down and he said uh, he, he gave it to me. He's like, read this later. So I just put it in my pocket. And uh, I left the jail and opened it up and it said, pray that I live past 21. And uh, I, I just started to think like, that's what this kid thinks. Like he, how, how can he have hope? Um, how can he be focused on the long-term if what society is telling them is that he's gonna be dead? You know, his dad was in a gang. He was, you know, 14 years old. They had him holding, you know, uh, carrying a gun, guarding the stash for the gang. Uh, he got involved in an assault, which led him to be in jail and eventually was convicted as an adult. But, uh, you know, this kid had no hope for the future. And, and actually, we, you know, that paraphrase phrase, these two verses from Ecclesiastes that basically say, like, um, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow I die. Uh, I actually asked him to put that in his common diction. And uh, can I swear on this podcast? <laughs> Sure, sure. <laughs> so Gary, after like two seconds, looked at me and he said, fight, fucking steal, because I'm dead. And, um, and, and I just started to think that this is what needs to be done. Like this really formulated this idea of me that I had about long-term focus rather than short-term focus. Like how can I convince this kid that he can be a chubby old balding guy living in the suburbs with a family and love Jesus and have an eternity, you know? Um, so, um, 
it's, it's not easy, but you know, you have to walk alongside and earn um, trust with kids mm -hmm. in order for them to listen to you. You know, I think like the least effective prison ministry is the people that are in the jails, handing out Bibles and tracts and getting people to send a sinner's prayer. Like, that's cool, but I'm not sure anybody gets saved by that. It's all relational. So once you earn the right to talk about Jesus with them, um, then you can start to hopefully have their mind renewed and transformed and, uh, you know, send being alarmed, conform the world, but allow God to transform or renew your mind. So you might know what his will is. Yeah. So, so John, how much now, right? Like, cause you've had, you've had, um, this life that you can really speak to them about, right? Mm -hmm. And and there's a lot of similarities that probably lace through. But you know, at, at what point, like, did you find that for yourself when you were in that situation? Or at what point, you know, are you able to speak to now, right? That was kind of the the clicking point of the conversation that really helped you to have these conversations today. Well, yeah, I mean, it was, I, I think that God speaks to us through the Bible and, 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 you know, revelatory prayer as we're, you know, as we're uh, Lectio Divino is a great Latin word, right? Of like, uh, you know, prayerfully reading and understanding and asking God for feedback. But, but in my life, the primary way God speaks to me is through people. And um, there was a, a, a pastor at my church. I don't know if you guys like football, but uh, Joe Ehrman, who used to be a defensive end for the Colts. Uh, just a great guy. He came alongside me um, right before I went to jail, about a year. I, I was indicted and then had about a year for the disposition of my case until I went in. And he walked alongside me that entire year. And he's really the first person that I let put his arm around me. I remember that he hugged me the first time, like, dude, get away from me, man. <laughs> so, but, but I realized the power of that, you know, the power of him actually caring about me. And, uh, you know, Paul says, be an imitator of me. I, I always say that I'm just an imitator of Joe uh, because he loved me through a really tough situation and, uh, and, and showed me a different way to live my life that I could have, um, I could have that peace and contentment in a way that I totally didn't understand before. So that's when it clicked for me. And I realized that relational ministry is the, is the, the means uh, to uh, change people's hearts and minds. Yeah. And, and um, it, it, you know, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, even though it's through um, uh, the lens of prison ministry is very much transferable in, in all um, aspects. And, um, you right. know, you, you talked a lot about trust, especially when you were mentioning Gary and everything. What are what are some of the things that people can do, um, e even if it's just tangible, like a couple steps that people can do to gain trust in any relationship? Yeah. Show up. Okay. Yeah. I think that's the main thing. Um, we get a lot of people that want to volunteer in the prisons and I shall see this in high school ministry too. people that maybe want to volunteer, but they're scared that they're not qualified or I'll get the typical, uh, suburban white person who's, who calls me about uncuffed and says, uh, well, they're going to be all black kids in there. I don't really feel like I'm qualified to do that. And I say, well, you're right. You're not qualified. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> uh, you're totally unqualified and that's no problem at all because, uh, Here's something I really wish was in the Bible, but it's not unfair to the expression that God doesn't call the qualified, doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about writing that in somewhere, maybe in the book of Ezekiel or something. I don't know. <laughs> there <laughs> but, you go. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, I think it's true. Like God's not calling the equipped, he is equipping 
the called. So, um, so if you want to disciple someone, if you want to mentor someone, if you want to walk alongside somebody, uh, showing up is the biggest thing, uh, showing up regularly and not disappointing, uh, somebody, they don't care. I mean, especially when it comes to the race issue <clears throat> with the kids in jail. Uh, I think that young kids think about race a lot less than people my age. Uh, I just, cause of how I grew up and, and, and the past, uh, you know, I, I have certain feelings about stuff, which I still fight every day. Um, but kids don't care. They don't care if I'm white or black. Uh, they just care that I'm there. You know, it's interesting because uh, over the summer, um, at least twice over the summer, right, Uncuffed held these uh, open uh, discussions about race, right? Yeah. And um, you mentioned right. that, you know, sometimes volunteers call you and they say, I'm not qualified, like, what? and I, I love that, um, you know, I'm not going to give you permission to write that in the Bible or anything <laughs> like that, but I, I agree with you, right? Like, we're not always equipped to take on the mission that that we're given, that God mm-hmm. gives us. And, um, and so, like, tell... Tell us a little bit more about um, how you've been able to kind of get outside of that feeling of I'm not equipped, right? Um, and and reach out because, you know, yeah, you're you're this white guy going into a prison which is mostly made up of, you know, black and brown people, and uh, you know, and uh, uh, on, on top of that, you know, you mentioned youth ministry, right? You're older and and they're younger and everything, and so on paper, there's no there's little connection. I mean. Um, so, so talk a little bit about how, how you've done that and how you, um, think people can overcome that gap so we can fight these, uh, sins like racism and, um, you know, different and and ageism. Yeah. Yeah. Ageism too. Yeah. No, ageism as well. All right. Like every church wants to have this young, happy, go lucky, you know, kid run their, their, but it's like grownups can do it as well. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I would just say that uh, that trusting in God is what breaks down fear. Mm. So, um, well, you know this, Chris, with Uncuffed, like having to raise money. I really don't want to do that. I detest right. that, you know. Uh, but I read this great book called The God Ask, and it started to talk about this thing about, um, uh, has, uh, yeah, sorry, Nehemiah having to ask King Cyrus for the money to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And mm-hmm. Cyrus was a pagan and it wasn't all that nice, right? But, uh, but he asked God, he knew that it was aligned with what God wanted for him. So he did it boldly. And, mm-hmm. and I, I do that with fundraising, but I also do it with, with everything that God calls me to do. Like if, if this is something that God wants from me, then I can do it boldly knowing that he'll equip me, that he'll provide, that he'll, uh, you know, he'll make everything all right. Even if I go in and the boys think I'm a knucklehead the first time I'll go back. <laughs> you know? So I think breaking down fear, uh, through trust that God's will is going to be accomplished in your life because mm-hmm. of him, not because of you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So kind of pivoting a little bit, um, you know, and talking about, uh, you know, not, not just relationships, but partnerships. Right. Um, so, uh, one of the things that I love about Uncuffed is it's not just us, right. Uh, we're trying to partner with different organizations cause we yeah. really can't do everything. Talk about like some of those things that you look for in partnerships. I mean, obviously faith is a huge component of that, but, um, in addition to that, what are some other things that you're looking for in regards to organizations that partner with Uncuffed and, yeah. and you? Well, well, I think one of the biggest sins of the modern day church is the silo, you know, it's, um, 
it's a it's a business problem as well. <laughs> where I, I worked at a company for a long time, where uh, you know every department had their own set of file cabinets. If you wanted to see the lease for one of the stores, you had to get past the gatekeeper who controlled the leases. And if you wanted to see the electric bills, there was another gatekeeper there. Everything was in silos. And my job was to bring all that data together. I remember we came in and I hired a bunch of young kids and we we brought in a bunch of uh, moving the hand trucks and took everyone's uh, files away and it was almost like there was going to be a revolution because there was power in control of that information, but silos needed to be broken down so that the data would be transparent and we could all do our jobs better. And I think it's exactly the same thing in, uh, in, in, in the Christian environment. There's way too many silos. We go to many churches that tell me that they already have a prison ministry uh, running. And I ask them what they're doing and they tell me they're in a discernment phase. <laughs> I mean, they're not doing any prison ministry, but they want to keep control over it. So um, so when we look to partner with organizations, I mean, the very first thing is, um, is, uh, is uh, a focus on faith in Jesus Christ and that Jesus is the only uh, way to eternal salvation. Now, um, we, we, we do partner with some more liberal churches uh, that might be universalist or, uh, you know, have different thoughts on that, but um, not really. I, I, we don't want to, ex- we don't want to make that part of the message that we expose to the boys so the, 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 and the girls. Uh, the people that are dealing directly with the kids are all uh, Jesus only type people. And, uh, and that is by far the most important thing, but, but also an openness to things that are different uh, and openness to, to, um, to cultural stuff, uh, you know, and one of the words that I really wish the church would reclaim is social justice. Um, Social justice is like, seems like it's redefined in modern society as running down the street and breaking windows and being angry. But, uh, but, you know, Micah 6, 8 says that, you know, to uh, seek justice, love mercy and walk humbly with the Lord. Like that's social justice in the Bible. And that's the most important version. So we want people that are biblically focused on social justice that, um, that trust God and, and know that uh, Jesus is the way to salvation. Right. It's not just about making noise, but it's about being, um, you know, uh, uh, strategically and intentionally, you know, progressive for bringing love and, and, and change into, into that society. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, go ahead, Matt. Well, no. So, uh, you know, as I'm listening, right. And, and John, just to be completely transparent, right. Like, that's not a big part of my life, right? Like I work on faith and spirituality in a, in a different way, but you know, at the same time, I'm drawn to the work that you're doing, right? I'm drawn to the work that you're doing. So, you know, how do like, how does someone like, is it just something where that partnership can maybe never happen or, and then I don't mean to like say it in that sense, but how does someone like me get involved if I am called to the mission of something like that? You know, yeah. you know, like someone that's, that's listening to the show that might not be on the same path. Well, we'll probably gently call you into something, uh, you know, just very casual and easy and then rope you in for the long term. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, you can get your feet wet with something very simple. Um, there are people out there that are listening or, or mad for you specifically, like um, maybe mentoring a boy who's been released as part of our reentry work. Uh, where nowadays it's even just meeting a kid on a Zoom call, which is quite a lot easier and unthreatening. Um, or maybe writing a letter to someone who's incarcerated. We have about 70 people writing letters 
into the jails. So that's a pretty big exposure. You know, people will say, well, what do I write about? I'm like, well, don't ask them what they did and don't ask them how long they're in, okay? So those are the first two things, okay? But just write them a letter and tell them about yourself and see if they write you back. And we'll get people like, well, I wrote and they didn't write back. What should I do? Well, you should write again. And then oh, I, I wrote twice and they didn't write back. What should I do? Well, you should write again. Yeah. And then, and then the third time they're going, Oh, they wrote back. They wrote back. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is, which is, uh, is kind of the reward that God gives us for our service, you know, to, to actually build a connection. So I'd say like, if you're interested or if anybody who's listening is interested, uh, please go to our website, uncuffedministries.org. There is a, there is a contact um, form there that you can fill out and say that you're interested in volunteering. Um, you know, there is a, a little bit of a weeding out process. We just want to make sure that people, um, that people have the right intentions. Um, but, um, but uh, we'd love to have you step into something small and something that's not too scary. Uh, yeah. And then eventually we'll get you working on death row or something. Uh, hey, <laughs> listen, uh, I'm very goal oriented. So, it, you know, you put, put a goal in front of me and may, maybe it'll happen one day. But you know, there's two things that, that really resonated with me in there. Um, one, the letters seem like a version of someone's ability to show up, right? So you guys earlier talked about Gary and how he showed up in your life. And, and even if someone isn't right going into the prison, it sounds like there's other ways for them to show up in the lives of others, which, which really spoke to me as, as you were, you're sharing that. And then the other thing that really jumped out was this thought of re-entry, Mm -hmm. right? This thought of re-entry. So obviously there was a point where you had a re-entry, but then I'm also curious as to you now, right? As, as we're looking to make an impact in, in those lives of people re-entering the workforce or re-entering, right? Like everyday life, you know, I just see stories of people that, you know, come out, right? As you said earlier on television or media, where it's like, they get so accustomed to life inside that the life outside can become difficult. So can you just speak to that a little bit about re-entry and whether it's, you know, your story or, or now ways that we might be able to impact, um, you know, people coming back into society and, and really well, helping to put them on a path. One of the prison terms we use is someone being institutionalized. So you get guys that have been in a very long time they become quite accustomed to being in the pattern of, of the jail system and they can't adjust when they get out. They're just so unsure. You know, I, you know, in jail, like if you're ever by yourself, you know, you're somewhere you're not supposed to be. <laughs> so I remember when I was released, I was at a halfway house on um, Monument Avenue in the city, which was basically an old hooker hotel converted <laughs> into a halfway house. And um, I had to attend these drug and alcohol rehab classes and I had to walk there to get to get to them. And I just remember the first time I left the facility and I was on the street and there was no one there. I was like, I started to sweat. It was like panic, you know, I just wasn't used to it. So there is this sense of, of, of being institutionalized and finding safety inside the, uh, the, 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 um, the judicial sentence inside the penal system. And it's very dangerous. So, I mean, that has to be broken down. And, and, you know, one of the ways that can be broken down is through um, relationships and through, uh, which I always try to encourage a kid to, to become part of a fellowship, a church fellowship, so they can have friends and, and people to guide them. Um, but I mean, one of the most, one of the other, well, I think the most important thing is a job. I mean, I think a job restores dignity 
Um, it allows self-preservation. Uh, it, it encourages hard work. Uh, it keeps you from laying on the couch, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's very difficult for someone to come out of jail and get a job. Um, and I was blessed that someone gave me an opportunity when I came home. Um, but, you know, I can't get a regular job. I mean, I've been an entrepreneur since I've been home, you know, and all kinds of crazy things. You know, I, I, um, I was involved in some Wendy's for a while. And then I, I built some Zips dry cleaners and, you know, running a dry cleaner is not the mission of my life by any means, but it was a good business and, and, and quite profitable. Uh, now I own some restaurants, which aren't doing that well because of the pandemic. Uh, and I'm thinking about getting into like the remodeling business now because I, I can't get a regular job. And I think it's, um, I think it's a shame that this society we live in that claims to be Judeo-Christian uh, just deeply doesn't understand forgiveness and is unwilling to give people opportunities. Now, I mean, I give a lot of guys opportunities and it doesn't always go that well. I mean, we, I had someone rob us at gunpoint who was, you know, we, it wasn't proved and he never got arrested for it, but I'm sure it was one of the uncuffed kids. I don't know if you remember this, Chris, but we were robbed on the night of one of the uncuffed fundraisers. And you know that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't know if you, if you were not there that year, but I, that was one of our best fundraisers. I definitely think people felt bad for us and gave more money. So it worked out. It, I, I might've been robbed for like $1,500, but we might've robbed the, We might've not, I wouldn't say that, but we might've raised a lot more money than that. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. That must've been the year I was, I was out in uh, Florida and stuff like that because I, it was, I, I, you I, did yeah. the video introduction. You'd oh man. Whoa. <laughs> um, you know, now I'm, I'm, I got to tell you, Chris happening to be in Florida while this is going on. Is, I mean, I've got an alibi. I got an alibi. So, <laughs> but I mean, but, there is a consequence to hiring people, you know, who have been incarcerated, um, but it's not that much different than the consequence of hiring every, the everyday person off the street. I mean, I do hire a lot of people and, um, you know, I can hire the nicest little kid who's, you know, you know, or a young girl goes to Maryvale and her mom drops her off in the, you know, the, the Cayenne SUV every day. But if she has soccer practice, she doesn't show up, you know, right. uh, or, or she just gets a new boyfriend and decides she doesn't want to work anymore. Uh, or, you know, there's just tons of things that can go wrong when you hire young kids. And I'm, despite my story about being robbed, like I, I'm not convinced that it's, that, that it's any worse hiring the incarcerated. In fact, I, I think it breeds a loyalty um, uh, from kids. If you give them a chance that they will work so hard in order to please you, to help you because they're so thankful for the job. Uh, I can say that over and over again. I've got a, I've got a, a guy that's worked, worked with me through uh, Zips and Sophie's and now on this new, this new business venture. Uh, who spent uh, six years in jail out in California. And, uh, you know, he would run through walls to help me help our business uh, just because, because you know, long-term we build a good relationship and I've given him an opportunity that he didn't think he was going to have. So, I, I, and that's one of the biggest things to reentry is the restoration of, um, of people's dignity through work. Well, I don't even know if it's a question. It's just, a, you know, this, this, restoration of people's dignity through work right oh my god like that is just number one so powerful but it's funny because chris and i you know as we're on these runs you know so so john i think chris before we got on today chris had talked about how you know this last year we've really 
you know, we've known each other for seven years and it wasn't until this last year where we've really connected and it's over these like long distance endurance runs and the conversations that have come out of it have evolved over time. But one of them was, man, could you imagine, right? If we were able to start something and then employ people that were coming out, right? And it, whether it's a profit or non-for-profit or, or whatever, you know, like that's gotta be just insanely rewarding. I mean, you've, sounds like you've lived that. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. I mean, to give a kid a job, um, to help somebody out, we, you know, the joke we always say, when we, especially when we ran the dry cleaners, you know, I partnered with this halfway house called Opportunity House in Anne Arundel County. And we just hired tons of people from those houses. And the joke used to be like, we only hire felons and recovering addicts, myself included, you know, and, uh, and, and it did, it, it was good for the business, but it was good for them. And it was really good for my heart as well. You know, I, I think, unfortunately, we're moving away in society, we're moving towards a condemnation of small business, a condemnation of capitalism, a condemnation of the Protestant work ethic, which I think is really dangerous. I, uh, sometimes I say some really unpopular things in church environments. I went to um, a forum where they asked me to speak and, uh, and the person that spoke before me was railing against the jail system and the forced labor that was so unfair. Uh, like in the feds, they have something called Unicor that builds furniture or, or does reclaiming uh, uh, technical equipment and stuff. But uh, they were just saying how unfair it is and how it's a form of slavery. And um, you know, I got up and said, I, I can't disagree with you more. I mean, do, do you know what it was to be in jail and to actually be able to have a job and earn some money so that I could support myself and buy my own sneakers and my own food and, and not have to ask my wife to send money in over and over again. Like that restored dignity to me. It gave me something productive to do every day. I loved working when I was incarcerated and I always looked at it as a privilege and I was thankful for it. So I, I, I think that, um, I, I just hope that that society does understand that that work is good <laughs> you know that you know that in the bible in hebrew there's a word avadah that's um that's translated as work and also as worship mm-hmm. which is pretty cool right i mean you think about it and the work is worship hard work gives glory to god and and, and it's it's restorative for people's souls so I, it's a big focus of our re-entry obviously well and, and with the re-entry uh i mean the dignity um that I've seen, and I hope people go to the website uh, and we'll have a link in our show notes and everything. Um, But some of the stories that are there and um, their testimonies, their witness to not just the presence that are uh, the, that the mentors or or, uh, men and women who have been a part of their lives, but just kind of that um, realization that they have value, right. That, that they have value out there is huge. And um, I, yeah, I don't think we do that enough, um, for one another. Um, I, I think we need to do more for ourselves and, and recognize the fact that we are valued, that we are loved, that we were created, uh, with a purpose and everything. And, um, it's, it's just incredible to, um, to hear, uh, some of those stories. And so again, if, if uh, you get a chance, go to our website between the miles.com and, and click on uh, the link to uncuff ministries, uh, org to learn more about the organization. Um, John, as we kind of start to wind down here, um, just a couple of fun questions, you know, um, for first question I want to ask it, and these two questions are, are similar, but the first question is who, who's been one of the most, you mentioned Joe Ehrman, but maybe 
that's the answer. Maybe it's not, but who, who's been one of the most fascinating people you've ever had a conversation or connected with um, before? Um, you know, I met George Bush before he became president. Really? Okay. <laughs> Down in Texas. And, um, you know, he was always portrayed as kind of a dunce and actually, I don't know that he was that good of a president, but, uh, but as a governor of Texas, I think he was amazing. And uh, he really understood the, uh, the relationship between governance and, and private business, which I really appreciated. Um, but um, just people that are closer to me, uh, my pastor is somebody that's really important to me. Uh, Frank Boswell, Hunt Valley Church, he's, he's someone that has a, a wide breadth of knowledge, not just, um, not just biblical knowledge, but, um, but worldly, secular. Uh, he's, he's very well read and he brings practical application to the preaching while still sticking to that line by line, precept by precept teaching. You know, we go through books and, uh, at church on Sundays and I really appreciate that. Some of the people in the forum were very interesting. If you have a chance to go to, um, to uncuffedministries.org under resources, there are two, um, race forums. And, uh, there's a guy by the name of George Lawson, who's the pastor of the Baltimore Bible church who is staggering in my estimation. I mean, he is just, um, he is so rooted in scripture. I, I just, I, it, it's, it's so impressive to me. Uh, he, he, he doesn't talk about himself. He talks about what Jesus says and you ask him a question and he answers it from the Bible and he's got this great Bible that's all curled up and messed and everything. Uh, and he's someone that's been I don't change. I try not to change churches, but if I do change, I'm going to go sit under George Ross's seat. But really, the thing that's been different for me since I've been home from incarceration all these years uh, is, you know, how I was before and how, when I came home after in terms of friends and having people around me. Like, I think that, the, the, you know, the, the, the phrase that you become like most like the seven people that you're, you spend the most time with. It's really true. And I had a lot of people around me in the bad old days uh, who were around me because I could help them make money and we could do things that weren't, that weren't good together. Mm. Uh, and, and they really, I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that they cause my crime. I take responsibility for my own actions, but, but being around those people um, impacted my life in a very negative way. And now I have, I've got seven or eight buddies that, um, that I do life with. I like that expression. Um, and I realized that a lot of things I thought I never was able to do again, that I can still do, you know, I was like, when I was in jail, I'm like, well, I can't play golf when I get out because, you know, this, we used to go play golf, get drunk. That was the whole point. Well, yeah, I don't know if you know this, but you can play golf sober and have a really good time and shoot a lot better, you know? And now I have these nerdy Christian buddies that I play golf with, or I can't go to a Ravens game because that's a raucous, sinful environment. Well, Yes, I can actually. Well, not during COVID, but I can, but it has to be with the right people, with the right focus. So I can do life in lots of fun, interesting ways. Um, so, uh, you know, you guys said you run together. I have a, a very good friend who's a doctor. Uh, his name is Charles Edwards, who's, uh, who's like a marathon runner who, uh, who sort of takes me out for a run or a jog every Sunday morning and runs circles around me, you know, and that's all we do is talk about the Bible and we talk about our lives and, uh, you know, the, the, uh, I'm also in a quad with, uh, with three guys, uh, Tim Milan and, uh, Tim Stout and Kevin Fielding, like those guys matter a lot to me. And I realize that those enduring relationships and the way they impact my life are, are so darn important. Um, it's really been transformative. 
Awesome. Awesome. And, and then here's the second question. Uh, dead or alive, who is someone that you would love to have, have or would like to connect with and have a, a good conversation with? Okay. Well, I say dead and alive. Can I say Jesus then? <laughs> you, you, well, yeah, that, that answers both that dead or alive, but dead yeah. and alive. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I always joke around, like, here are these questions I'm saving up to ask them when I get there, you know, in eternity, mm-hmm. but I think that will just, everything will just be revealed to us. So, um, you know, there, there is a guy right now, he runs a, a ministry called guardian ministries. He just writ, he's written a book called, um, let me make sure I get this right. Uh, when the truth is all you have, his name is Jim McCloskey. Um, I, I, he went to Bucknell where I went to school and um, he is a lawyer who sort of dropped out to do um, uh, this prison work of like an innocence project type thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm just finishing his book and I'm trying to reach out to him. So I'm really hopeful that he gets back to me. I know he's probably very busy and it's hard to get in touch with, but I'm hoping the Bucknell connection as well as the prison ministry stuff will, will get me a, a, uh, uh, you know, a little time with him. So I'm interested to hear what he's doing. And um, I'm interested to combine what Uncuffed is doing, which is really important work in that we're, we're sharing the gospel and uh, people's lives are changing. But in the midst of that, I see a lot of institutional unfairness in the judicial system. And um, his work is freeing people who've been wrongly convicted, mm. uh, which is odd. You know, I, I think I've said this to you before, Chris, like lots of my conservative friends think I'm a flaming liberal and lots of my flaming liberal friends think I'm a make America great again guy, you know? So uh, I, think, I think because I'm disliked by both sides politically, I think I might be in the right spot, but I, 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 I'm, I'm very fiscally conservative, but socially liberal and, and the judicial system is a disaster. You know, I mean, I, the way I was treated by the judicial system is distinctly different than how these young men are treated. Uh, because I was white and affluent, um, I had good legal representation and people were, despite the fact that I did something terrible, people were more inclined to think well of me and give me a second chance. And uh, that's why I like, I'd really like to meet this guy, Jim McCloskey, and talk to him about this Innocence Project. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. It, real quick too, just to add in, because that was like, it just got me thinking, there's like, three really great films out there right now that I think capture the message that you're talking about. Um, and I, you know, I'll go ahead and I'll put them up on the, the, the yeah. website, but you know, I think it's uh 13, right. Is one of them yep. by Ava DuVernay. Uh, you've got um, just, mercy, just mercy, Brian Stevenson. He's amazing. Yep. I've heard him I, speak a couple of times. He's, he's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually had the, the pleasure of hearing him speak uh, six months ago. Yeah. And, I mean, just the intelligence and, and at the same time, the mission that he was drawn to, uh, you could just, you could just learn so much from such a short period of time from one person. Yeah. Um, and there's, uh, now they see us or something. It was the Netflix docu-series oh, about the, yes. the yeah. New York mm-hmm. five. Um, and, and so I'm sure, right. There's plenty of those out there, but, uh, you know, I think sometimes, right, TV and mediums like that can tell a really good story. You just got to know where to look. And, and so hearing you talk about those things just, just drew that into focus for me. And so thank yeah. you. Definitely, definitely. Well, John, it, it was awesome to have you on the show. And, um, you know, uh, it, it, if people want to learn more about Uncuffed Ministries, can you share that website URL again? Sure. It's um, uncuffedministries.org. 
Um, there are quite a few videos. Actually, the autoplay video on the first uh, page is called uh, Dear Baltimore, I'm Sorry, Please Forgive Me. Uh, you might see some familiar faces in that. And uh, I think you really like it. You know, we have focused a lot on the kids um, learning how to ask for forgiveness from their victims and from their families, but also learning to forgive people in their pasts uh, uh, that have hurt them and maybe put them on these paths. So that's interesting. Um, while you're there, if you're interested, there's a couple of ways that you can help us. Uh, you can sign up for our prayer team. I'm a big believer in, uh, in the um, in corporate prayer and joining together. Um, I think that God's mind can be changed. I know that's a good theological debate, but <laughs> uh, so please sign up for our, our, our prayer list, which comes out weekly and you can pray over stuff with us as a group. Um, if you'd like to volunteer, there's definitely some spots to, to, uh, to engage with us for that or, or to write letters. And lastly, um, unfortunately, ministries sometimes run on money. So we all have bills to pay. I, I can't make That's why I have a small business because you can't make any money in prison ministry. But, uh, but if, if you feel so inclined to, um, to fund uh, some of our staff members, the insurance we have to carry to bring people inside jails, our rent, uh, things like that, uh, there's a donate uh, button as well. We'd appreciate that support. Definitely. And we'll have all that linked uh, from uh, Between the Miles um, website and everything. So definitely check that out and uh, reach out to John and uh, the Uncuffed Ministries team. Um, definitely uh, willing to share more of their story. Well, John, on behalf of Matt, thanks again uh, for being with us. And, uh, and you know, just uh, thank, thank you for joining us on this journey um, over these uh, last couple of miles. Cool. God bless, guys. All right, Matt, that was an awesome and powerful conversation with John. i uh, just curious, what are your thoughts? What, like, what resonated with you when you were listening to, to John? Whew, what didn't resonate with me? Um, so, you know, I, there's a couple of words that are coming to mind when I think about John. The first is, I mean, he, his humility through all the trials and tribulations. And, and honestly, like, just vulnerability right to share this story um you know as well as his transparency like he didn't really hold anything back and um and that was incredible and he just strikes you as a type of person who walks the walk in a way that you can't help but want to get involved and i think it's just a clarity of purpose that he has that i'm sure right we've all encountered those types of people in life um, but John seems like a rare breed and, uh, someone I really enjoyed getting to know today. Yeah, man, I totally enjoyed uh, that conversation. And it's one of those things that you know, someone for a while, but then you hear their story again and you learn something new, right? He's such a good guy. And, uh, one of the things we want to put out there for our listeners is we want to encourage you to support, uh, John and Uncuffed Ministries. Um, so if you are interested in learning more about what he's doing, um, about what that organization is all about, uh, just go to uncuffedministries.org. Um, we'll have uh, links in the show notes as well. Um, but Matt, I definitely agree. Always, um, always struck by his humility and his ability to find healing. So anyway, Matt, 
we need to encourage people to continue to share this podcast. So um, if you are listening for the first time, uh, you know, definitely would love to hear your thoughts, your reviews, and you can do that on anywhere podcasts can be heard. Um, you can also go to our website in uh, betweenthemiles.com. That's uh, betweenthemiles.com. And uh, you can subscribe if you're not part of our newsletter to learn more about upcoming episodes, as well as other really cool things and facts about the show. Um, and again, leave that uh, review and share this with your friends, your families, anyone you're connecting with so that we can continue to fulfill our mission of reaching 1 million people. Matt, always a pleasure. And I'll catch you next time. This has been a Between the Miles production. Your hosts, Chris Wesley and Matt Wells, Music provided by Jam Studio Wide Open Road. For more information, visit our website at betweenthemiles.com.